we are using today 1.75 worth of planets. You know, we don't have 1.75 worth of planets. We have to shift. Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar. Over the last few years, the conversations and actions around sustainability in media and advertising have been growing, from net zero commitments to agency carbon calculators, green partnerships and research into ethical consumer behaviour. At the same time, there have been numerous climate protests and accusations of greenwashing in various parts. As unseasonal weather events have increasingly been devastating huge areas of the world and the UK government has just diluted its 2030 net zero commitments, it is more important than ever to ask what a sustainable media and advertising ecosystem looks like. To talk about just that, I'm delighted to be joined today by Anne Coughlin, Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Carbon Emissions Data Specialist Scope 3, and Hannah Mirza, Founder of the Responsible Marketing Agency. Thanks for joining me both. Lovely to be here. So, Anne, Hannah, can you each tell me a bit about your experiences in media and how they led you to found your respective companies? And Hannah, if you don't mind going first. Sure. Um, I've got a long history in media. I'd started in media in the year 2000, which seems an age ago now. And um, at a very kind of formative age, I guess, in digital, where at the time I worked at an ad network, which was a startup, and we needed to one day, you know, find media sales one day find media publishers, the next day, you know, do some business development and the next day order some stationery. <laughs> so <laughs> it was um, it was an interesting experience, but it led me to always have a startup mentality, I think, into every role I went into. And I was lucky enough to move from publisher side over to agency side initially at um, Aegis, worked my way up there, uh, managed the global rollout of iProspect. Um, before moving over to Group M and spent 10 years in Group M uh, building departments and um, setting up new divisions across search, social, programmatic partnerships and consulting projects. Oh, wow. So like on the coalface of all of all of these new developments coming in and, and everything. Yeah. And, um, and then lucky enough, went back publisher side, worked for Apple for a while and then spent uh, several years in Diageo client side as well. So I feel like I've seen all sides of the jigsaw puzzle and uh, and everything that goes into making media uh, successful for a client. Mm-hmm. So when you set up Responsible Marketing Agency, what was the kind of the drive to do that when you've been agency side and client side and and things like that? Was there like this sort of gap in the market? Yeah, I've always been passionate about having um, purpose to the work I do. Um, I've I've been the one uh, black sheep in the family who went down the corporate route as opposed to everyone else who's done kind of more humanitarian roles and, and good for good for the planet, good for people mm-hmm. roles. Um, my mum especially, uh, you know, she's a, a NHS frontline worker, works in A&E doing social work and I um, can't believe the work she does every day and I felt like I needed to have purpose in what I did and so um, looking at the responsible marketing agency, I wanted to found something that was the best parts of all of the work we do, and um, you know, help more clients to do more of that work. Because I think, um, as the UN sustainability goals set out, the way we operate, the way we live, the way brands exist is not sustainable on every level, and um, and so it, you know, the opportunity to have a specialist agency to support that transition was there and I wanted to be part of it. So um, why not, <laughs> you know? Yeah, completely. And and would you, do you chime with any, any of that with founding Scope 3? What was your experience in media like pr- prior to that? 
So I think a lot of the things that Hannah said uh, chime with me, particularly around purpose and, and the reason for founding Scope 3. But I'm very much uh, on the tech side and the way that systems are connected, the way that systems are inefficient, the way that we can make those systems better um, to uh, be better, not just in business, but in the way that we're actually portraying our <laughs> our business world into the, into the real world. So I started in media on the ad tech side uh, when I joined up Nexus. But prior to that, I'd been working on large system transformation projects for Accenture in the telco world um, and, and really understanding how um, something that can um, look simple from the outside can be made up of so many different complicated ways of doing things that lead to uh, inefficiencies. And, and when we were at Nexus, what the kind of company was trying to do was build a better internet. And that really chimes in with trying to make sure that the internet is the best it can be, not just for consumers, but for publishers and brands. And really those three constituents of the ecosystem are what I've always been focusing on. So uh, Nexus was, was privileged to be the first product hire in Europe where we looked at how we could make buying more efficient and therefore better for, for brands, for buyers uh, in the open internet. And then did a little bit of a leaving media for a while, actually, um, and looked at physical supply chains and how we could make them more more efficient. Um, and that led a lot to thinking about how inefficient and in unsustainable these large, complex supply chains were. Um, but you know, my background is in in maths and tech, and not in chemistry. And so, trying to make large mining companies more sustainable was kind of outside of my background and my remit. And that's where my co-founder and Brian O'Kelly and myself realised that there was a really large problem that we could tackle with the um, the carbon footprint of the digital advertising ecosystem, which at the time, you know, when we started talking about this before we founded the company in 2021, was something that most people had not even considered or conceived that digital advertising had a physical impact on the world. It's something that I hadn't thought about until we started putting pen to paper and realising the, the challenges that everyone in the ecosystem would be facing to try and solve this problem. And so it was natural to kind of bring together these ideas of trying to have more, a more purposeful uh, impact on an ecosystem that I'd worked in for, for many years, um, as well as doing something that would be not just for future generations, I think we talk about that a lot, but for our generation now, as you said in your intro, Ella, about you know how we can just see the the, the really devastating effect of the the climate crisis on the world. Mm. I think it's it's interesting that kind of perception, which is changing. I think that digital advertising isn't doesn't have as much emissions or as much of a footprint as other uh, media channels. I suppose maybe it's because, like you know, with some media channels, they they're kind of they're physical. There's a product that you can like, and where it's not that kind of ephemeral sort of click and then it's gone kind of situation and uh, Scope 3 this week has, has released um, its kind of digital advertising emissions data and kind of open access like full access and uh, we've got is it are you doing the whole new acronym of CSP is that the uh, yeah the collaborative collaborative sustainability platform. platform I was like I know there's collaboration I know there's sustainability yes uh, can you tell us more about that Anne? Yeah so you're absolutely right I think you know, if you think about aeroplanes flying around, you can even see the entrails and you can know that there is something happening there. And I think something like print or um, out of home, you you understand that there is something happening in a factory that actually produces um, material that then has to be thrown away. So I think people relate to that and understand that. And certainly when you apply that to your own personal lives, you don't 
think about going on social media less as some way to reducing your own personal carbon footprint. So with the, the release of the, the CSP, the Collaborative Sustainability Platform, we wanted in some way to help everyone in the ecosystem be able to visualise the sources of emissions um, from any you know website, app, um, slice of inventory that you're buying um, across the across the internet. And so by opening this up to anyone, so anyone can go to the website, scope3.com, shameless plug, um, and, uh, you know, search and, and start to see visualizations of, uh, you know, the sources of emissions. And our hope for doing that is a kind of the first step to um, being really able to tackle this together. I think we talk a lot about in sustainability, this is your data, this is my data. Um, and, and the thing with emissions is that um, w- within a supply chain, everything is interconnected. And so really making sure that we're able to um, to showcase that and so that the industry can be pushed forward even faster to, to be finding solutions to, to reducing that. Mm-hmm. I think it was quite interesting when I was playing around with it. And uh, I think the the kind of we've discussed before um, and the kind of made for advertising sites and that kind of climate risk inventory. But I think it's that visualisation um, that it is in a kind of quite easy to understand, digestible way of looking at things. Um, and it's not kind of lots of lists of numbers and sort of, you know, how much does a metric tonne of carbon actually mean in to a normal everyday person? Uh, I mean, I was trying to kind of figure out equivalents and things and it, it's it can be quite difficult to kind of conceptualize and I wonder Hannah with your when you discuss things with clients and obviously Mm. responsible marketing agency does things with with uh not just around sustainability but around other elements as well sure how do you kind of translate all of these kinds of things for clients and how do you kind of come across that that challenge of seeing purpose for lack of a better word as Mm. as more than a nice to have yeah, so greenhouse gas emission measurement um, is obviously the thing that's dominating the conversation. And I don't disagree with that. I'm heavily involved, um, you know, responsible marketing agency is working with the WFA on the creation of industry standards around the measurement model. Because right now, um, if, you know, there's 30 odd calculators in the marketplace and, you know, whichever one you're using, you're getting different outcomes. And we know that um, a live example where it's six times different between one and another. So I do have concern about um, kind of private industry running and creating their own calculators. So I'm really pleased that uh, the WFA has set, uh, stepped in to set an industry standard and we are working with the likes of Scope 3, but obviously their competitors and all the holding groups and all of the key suppliers in this space to reach a common metrics and standard. And I think that will really change um, the way in which measurements looked at. But what um, worries me is that uh, if we look so much at the measurement and focus that as the only topic, we're not taking enough action on reduction strategies. And so what we are doing with clients is looking at what are the ways in which you can immediately start to reduce your carbon impact. Because I think when you have a problem, you go, okay, let's get the data, let's see the problem in real life, and then it's tangible. Um, But we might have to wait a long time for that. And the reality is we know media generates carbon. So what we're trying to do with clients is um, say, okay, let's start tackling that now and work through, you know, an action plan of deliverables to, uh, you know, various pilots with different companies, various kind of things you can do um, as a brand, as a publisher, 
because a lot of the publisher community is needing to ready themselves to have better, um, you know, credentials to say, yes, I've done all these things to make myself, um, you know, less carbon generating as a supplier to you, advertiser and agency. Um, and so we're working much more on like the implementation of reduction strategies while the measurement ecosystem gets into a place of level playing field with accuracy of data and metrics. And I think um, beyond that, we are, you know, consultants in the full ESG space. So we obviously are working on environmental projects, but we're also working in social and governance projects as well around um, things like inclusion and diversity, representation in marketing and media, looking at uh, governance projects around brand safety and reputation management. Uh, we've just been working with a client who's got a huge ecosystem, thousands of um, social media handles and wanting to put in a whole new governance structure on how that works to create not just a better environment for consumer relations with, um, you know, the way in which their brands show up, but from a quality and um, and compliance point of view as well. So we really look at, um, do you have a problem <laughs> as a brand or a publisher and how can we help you find a pathway to solve that? Because um, 2030 is not that far away. A lot of um, corporates have set goals around that. They've been starting to implement them from a business standpoint, but not necessarily translating that through to, okay, now what does the marketing team do or how does the marketing team contribute towards reaching our goal as well? And the very nature of advertising marketing media is now under the spotlight of like, oh, actually, you're contributing towards the problem as well. What are we doing in your sphere? So I think companies like Scope 3 are addressing the um, the kind of problem from a what is the um, supply chain, the industry, and how do we solve that? But then there's this other piece of, of how do marketers you know, change the world from an ESG standpoint, deliver on their company's objectives, or in fact, are the driver of the company's objectives around uh, re-engineering, go-to-market strategies, changing products in ways that are more sustainable, more socially permeable, and and um, and doing it in the right way from a from a governance point of view. You know, brand safety, consumer safety, uh, all of those things. Mm. So it's, it is all kind of it does all tie together, and and I think it's interesting that marketing touches so many different elements of the products in the business mm. and it kind of like is that connecting factor i was wondering what kind of you guys think you were talking about media and advertising being under the spotlight and kind of having its sort of wake-up calls and more collaboration is is really great to see but there is you know i think every like so many different carbon calculators and different kind of uh things going on it's hard to know if these net zero commitments, as you say, 2030 is not that far away and all the kind of decarbonisation efforts, is is it too little? Is it too slow? What would you say to that? Well, I think what Hannah was saying just now about, you know, we can't really wait around for getting, making sure we have everything perfect before we start making progress across all of the ESG um, goals that need to be set. I think for me um, and kind of in talking with uh, brands through their agencies, you know, and some of the work that we did with the WFA. I think it's really helping marketers to understand that this the challenge of decarbonisation can be quite overwhelming. But we're actually in quite a, a lucky position in this industry that there are levers and opportunities that can be taken where you can actually see reduction happening, you know, month over month versus waiting, you know, a couple of years. If you think about the you know, the physical supply chain of a, uh, you know, a, a large FMCG company, the, you know, changing suppliers and making sure that their packaging is more renewable or, you know, the 
all of the electric vehicles, sorry, all the vehicles that they're using becoming electric. That's like a quite a, a very large change management program, as well as, you know, something that will take a lot of uh, investment. Whereas if you're thinking about digital media, <laughs> the, the nature of it is that you can change f- configurations and I- improve um, the efficiencies of, of what you're doing in, you know, in, in minutes and see those returns. So I think it's uh, breaking the problem down and showing that um, by focusing on sustainability uh, and carbon reduction, you're actually potentially not just ticking off those goals, which are now uh, you know in your remit, but you're also seeing improvements in other areas. So you know, Hannah was just you know, touched on kind of consumer privacy and other things. We know that uh, a less wasteful ecosystem is also an ecosystem that is less wasteful from a environmental perspective but also from a you know media dollars perspective as well and so um it's kind of re-examining i don't want to say age-old problems because it's not um maybe not you know hundreds of years old but re-examining really old problems uh from a, a new lens and making sustainability a driving factor in positive business change so i suppose that kind of touches on effectiveness and that kind of return on on ad spend um but from that a uh, slightly different angle am i understanding right yeah, yeah. And just to build on that, it's just very tangible. Like, um, you know, it for other industries that have to shift farming, agriculture, you know, metal supplies, all sorts of things, um, you know, construction industry, you know, they're looking for innovations, new technologies. They're much bigger carbon generators, but they don't have the solutions available to them. So I think it's exciting that there are solutions available to publishers and brands to decarbonize the way in which we deliver our our um our discipline uh so yeah really excited about that particularly you know there's companies like go go green code we're working with who um with some of our clients to help to uh you know re-engineer the coding of how their their websites are put together to be more sustainable lots of different accessible strategies um that are much easier than you know shifting a whole farming practice or something like that that may take several years Mm -hmm. would you say kind of advertising media um when it's or specifically advertising when it's kind of encouraging consumerism do you think that is harder to be to be truly sustainable yeah so it's kind of a scope for um consequence of what we do we drive demand and i think that that is really interesting um that and you know there's there's quite polarizing positions on how far people want to push advertisers to be responsible and accountable for that i personally think that they do need to be um one of the things i'm seeing and this comes down to the fundamental shift in in businesses mindset is that we are using today 1.75 worth of planets you know we don't have 1.75 worth of planets we have to shift to a different model that means changing the products we sell changing the demand for the new thing the latest new thing and getting to a space where we're comfortable to um, do things entirely differently so for example it's Christmas not too far away I'm quite disturbed by the fact there's already Christmas <laughs> decorations in the shop I saw mince pies the last bank holiday weekend yeah. of August in the shop which was unacceptable <laughs> and we all we're all thinking like oh you know it's an austere period we want to really be conscientious about how much we spend our houses are full of all sorts of things that could be re-gifted but we would never think of doing that because we're in that mindset like oh it's someone's someone's special occasion I want to buy this new thing we're encouraged and and I think more and more retailers more and more brands need to get into that um, that kind of circular economy how do we take what's already out there and existing and make that accessible and I love the brands who are starting to look at that retailers who are putting in secondhand 
sections of their store, people who are looking at um, recyclable uh, ways in which they take things they've already sold and bring them back and, and upcycle them. And, you know, I think that's a real shift in consumer mindset. And I think that the brand who's going to win in that space is the one who helps the consumer go on the journey. So I'm quite excited about that. But I do think that's probably uh, a bit slow in terms of advertisers acting in that space. It's kind of like a little innovation if the, they're doing it. It's not actually their core business. And it's interesting because it's where newer um, startups and brands that have been built from a sustainable outcome, you know, right at the outset, they're starting, starting to take market share uh, there. Mm. Yeah, I think it brings up an idea of kind of the uh, consumer being more focused on purpose, on on ethical brands and things like that, which I was uh, reading something where it's like, well, that's that's how people would like to see themselves as, as an ethical consumer. But then they're, uh, they're, that's their reported behaviour compared to like the observed behaviour that, you know, they will still do uh, go to brands that they've always gone to, which might be fast fashion brands. They might be like your typical high street brands that might not have that kind of sustainability baked in. But I suppose that is, it's that kind of long-term changes. Is that, that's kind of what I'm yeah, hearing. And, and the big brands um, starting to offer uh, sustainable products. You know, I see um, some retail platforms now coming forward that only offer sustainable products. And so, you know, they need to um, make it into the mainstream, but also uh, the mainstream needs to shift and you know, get into that mindset too. So I do think we are at a, an injunction, but I think what's going to be the driver is consumer demand. And I and I appreciate what you say there that um, what they say in a survey and what they do can be very different. Um, so I think uh, that is also kind of a laggard, unfortunately. And we do need to um, to be the brands that push that. I mean, Apple coming out and setting the stage um, with their kind of commercial recently that is talking about the sustainable um, offering that they have in the mainstream commercial, not in a CR, you know, internal um, memo, is going to be a spur for Samsung to do something next or or LG to do something next. You know, all of their competitors will respond to that. And I think that's the driver. So we need more brands being front-footed and putting out a message that will spur others to say, actually, I'm quite comfortable with this. I think um, the, the legacy of greenwashing is probably a lot of brands who are doing really interesting, innovative things on sustainability are very fearful of saying anything now. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate because the, the legacy is the consumers are slow to know what's happening um, because they're nervous about talking about it. Yeah, and I wonder even on, the, on that Apple example, um, you know, there were lots of uh, positive and negative um, uh, reactions to that commercial. I think some, a lot of that is as well as educating the consumer. So what does what do all these labels even mean that, you know, if my soap is carbon neutral, is that good? If someone, if something is labelled as sustainable, am I as a consumer, um, should I be buying that? What's more sustainable than something else? I think that there is a lot of uh, confusion mm -hmm. um, as to, you know, am I doing the right thing as a consumer? You think you are, you've bought something that's sustainable and then someone comes out, you know, it comes out in the news that actually it wasn't overall. And so I think there is a consumer trust issue as well, um, even with, with Apple like the the carbon uh, the new carbon neutral watch does that mean that everyone should go out and replace their old apple watch with the brand new carbon mm. neutral one mm. no because that's not the the point of what we're talking about when we think about a circular economy either and so i think um 
there is a there should be a, a little bit of an onus on on brands i think to to be educating in the space of you know, what does it mean when we put these labels uh, mm. on stuff yeah kind of clean green uh, net net zero carbon neutral carbon negative i think that, that i there is a lot of kind of vocabulary around the space which which and i think obviously the the asa has got a kind of greenwashing guide and sort of um various things and there has been uh kind of actions and uh complaints upheld in this space as you guys referred to um i think a lot of the stuff that they they kind of focus on they're kind of looking at the full life cycle of a product in an ad and the imagery used and the the if you emit significant Im- information for instance if you're a fossil fuel client that only talks about like one or a, like a bank and you only talk about f- like funding one like green initiative instead of mentioning all the other business that you do that was one example with HSBC I think and then there's an exaggeration and ambiguity guide as well of and it's around that vocabulary, like you're talking about, Anne, of kind of, and it is hard for a consumer to navigate. It was, and it's hard enough, and you know, on the sh- supermarket shelves, online shopping, there's so much choice, you're kind of overwhelmed. And so I guess that's what, when brands need to educate and, and media needs to do, and advertising needs to kind of do its job of like getting that um, sustainability, but kind of making sure that it's, it's not greenwashing. Yeah, and I think, there is the the brand talking to the consumer, but then there is also brands talking to each other. And I think that's where we should be seeing so much more of um, an open forum and things like the WFA where brands come together and they, they talk about what they're doing and what's working and what's not. So kind of green working, as it were, because it, the, the risk of greenwashing is if you are actually doing something amazing to reduce your emissions in one area of your business and you're afraid of talking about it publicly then potentially other businesses are not going to be getting the learnings Mm. Um, and that's I guess part of the collaborative sustainability platform's goal is to um, showcase what is working in in a b2b sense as well so that um, those learnings can be applied kind of systemically across the the ecosystem. It's a really interesting point of friction because um, while kind of innovation and advancement is normally your competitive advantage I think in the sustainability space there's a real push for it not to be uh, you know, we want everyone to have sustainable practice. So if there is solutions to um, high carbon emitting practices, we want everyone to have access to them. And I think that is a real mindset shift. And even um, on the on kind of com- competition law is very tricky to navigate. Um, but that is the reality. We are all people on this planet and hopefully we'll be here for uh, many more generations if we make the right choices now. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested with you, well, you're talking about collaboration with the WFA and with lots of other companies. What does a sustainable media or advertising company look like? And also what's a, because we talked about the Apple campaign, what's a sustainable media plan or a sustainable campaign? What are the kind of, uh, I don't want to say, well, I suppose benchmarks are the kind of qualities yeah. that we're looking at there. So uh, the way I think about it is, I, I guess, in in a couple of ways. So it's like, what are you putting into the campaign to begin with? So is the asset that you're putting in, has it been created, compressed, you know, made, stored, uh, you know, uh, optimised in a way that is the least impactful? Um, you know, we receive a lot of, of assets that are beautiful from a creative department point of view, but highly unnecessary to be viewed on a mobile in that high quality. So I think it's about creative input in. It's then about the supply chain of who you're using, why you're using them. Do you know what the impact of their use is? And then off the back of that, how are you using the data and the knowledge and the 
the storage of all, all of the kind of outcomes of the campaign and optimizing back through on, on future buys. For me, it's, it's really like the ability to advertise doing the least amount of damage possible. So I think the ability to advertise in an effective way as well. So it, it ties in with, you know, a lot of what, what Hannah's just said, but I think a re-examining of everything on the plan with sustainability in mind, that it's not just you know, you, you do it at the end or you do it at the beginning and you're not optimising as you go um, is is really critical. Um, and then I think, yeah, from a from a supply partner's perspective, making sure that, you know, where as a, as a buyer, where your ad is actually serving is also creating this kind of virtual site, virtuous cycle within the advertising ecosystem. So you mentioned earlier, you know, made for advertising sites, not only in and of themselves are they, you know, not great for the consumer experience. Um, they're really not great from an emissions perspective. And there are kind of downstream consequences even of those sites like existing. Um, so really being thoughtful about how advertising is effective with the, the least amount of emissions as possible. Yeah, and I, I think I wanted to put this to you guys as the last kind of question in this section. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report last year said that we have a brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. In Ideally, from that's quite a scary statement, but what changes would you want to see? And we've touched on a few, but in the media and advertising ecosystem, what changes would you want to see to kind of make sure that that livable window is, is longer is, and it, we are, it is more, the whole ecosystem is more sustainable? I actually... I don't think the advertising ecosystem alone can do it. I think the challenge is that for the majority of um, the brands who are operating, buying in the advertising space, their own goals around sustainability have been set at a corporate level. It's not the marketers. It's not the advertising teams. I think, therefore, what we can do as an advertising marketing industry and the people who are purely working in that space, the publishers and the supply chain tech companies we're working off, we can set our own goals to get at least our house in order faster than the rest of you know other businesses. And I think that really sets a precedent. So I would love um, the ad net zero ambition to get to um, you know net zero by 2030, I know is where they set their stall out in the UK. They're rolling globe globally, but they get some resistance because you know there's many other factors from brands being able to do that. But I think just purely looking at the supply chain of the execution of advertising, I think there's more opportunity to get to net zero faster. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that. And kind of have advertising push like those departments and those teams like push the way forward for the rest of the, com the kind of bigger brands and companies. Yeah, and, it, and it's massively dependent on the type of brand you are, the size of your advertising, you know, that impact. So if you're a services business, your advertising emissions is quite a significant portion of what you, you do. But if you're a manufacturer, it's tiny in the scheme of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's there's some industries who will reach net zero faster because of the nature of what they're offering. And I think that's um, for us in the services industry too, as agencies, as um, as kind of tech companies, etc., I think there's real opportunity for um, their products to be decarbonized faster um, than, as we were talking before, you know, manufacturers, construction industries, um, people who are using aluminium metals, etc. That's a whole other bigger problem to solve and more important in some ways in terms of the volume. But at least we can address our industry faster, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And I think just to Oh, I completely agree. But um just to think about the that that window closing feels 
feels scary. And I think just zooming out a second and thinking about, you know, the the UK Prime Minister rolling back on the country country's initiatives, I think people can feel quite overwhelmed. Um, I read an amazing quote and it was on LinkedIn, so I can't remember who um, who the the person to attribute this to, but it was, you know, if you're if you're too if posit- being too much of an optimist makes you complacent, that's not good. If being too much of a pessimist makes you despair and like freeze into inaction, that's not good either. So let's just like be active and going back to what Hannah was saying earlier about like progress over, you know, being being perfect. Like let's just try and work out the ways that we can be making an impact and being active. So while the conversations about standards are happening, like let's get ready for those standards. Mm. Let's make sure that we are finding the levers that we can pull to be um, decarbonizing as quickly as possible. Um, because in, in many ways it shouldn't be overwhelming because there are lots of, of things that can be done. Yeah, anyone who feels like they're stuck in the headlight is not sure which way to go. You know, they're the, they're the kind of perfect um, candidates for um, for support. You know, they're they're the kind of clients we want to help and and publishers we want to help. Mm. And that com- a comment kind of reminds me of how um, uh, conversations around um, diversity and inclusion and the, the, that comment of like um, you have to be actively. Uh, kind of anti-racist, for instance, you and and it's not good, and it, you can't, but you can be frozen into inaction, either kind of on either side. So it's that kind of active level for, and it works for both, I guess, with sustainability. And it's it's just interesting that that yeah, it's breaking down those problems and recognizing what is what the realities are. I'm going to shift us now into the quick hit section of the podcast, which is a bit more um, about recent media-related stories, stuff that's been coming up in the news. And you just mentioned one, which was um, the UK government rolling back on on uh, its net zero commitments. And then I think, obviously, there was a rebuttal that Labour said, oh, we, if we got onto power next year, we wouldn't do that. I guess a lot of people, when they're asked, they kind of do see like governments as the main people that should kind of work on this. What what was your kind of reaction when you guys saw this news about Rishi Sunak's announcements? Um, well, I kind of laughed slightly despairingly, I think, was my initial reaction. I think what's really interesting there is that you're seeing not just... Uh, people, you know, across the across the aisle from the Conservative government, um, being, you know, very um, negative about the the U-turn. Climate activists being very negative about the U-turn, but also businesses as well. So car manufacturers are in despair about mm. the changes that have been made. So I think that's kind of um, fascinating when we think about short-termism versus long-termism, and that's a, the tension that we see across this this um, whole um, discussion which is you know I think we're, we're all kind of primed to see okay what's the what's the, my campaign doing what's uh, you know what's my Q4 goal that's coming up how can I tackle that and the problem with humanity is that we are often quite short term and this is something that we can't really be short term about um, and so um, yeah I was kind of pretty despairing about the the u-turn and and then you know immediately going into action and go well how am i in my job and in a scope three and as we're working with our customers and with partners in the ecosystem how can we be doing our part to to help mitigate what the uk government ultimately isn't doing and then to your just your point about you know we we see kind of governments as as standard bearers for that the uk government has you know it's in law that we're going to be hitting certain targets and so i think there's going to be some you know legal questions about what the the prime minister announced um out of session 
the other day. Mm-hmm. That the business element with the car manufacturers and the companies being like, we've spent so much money trying to get on this kind of this 2030 target. And and so then actually, but we're going to carry on anyway, was the sort of message which I thought was quite probably the most heartening out of the whole hmm. uh the whole uh depressing uh it's so cycle. depressing yeah. and and it sets the wrong precedent if a government can change their goal then i think it leads more corporates to think oh well, can i shift mine too and hopefully you know uh their shareholders will not allow that to happen and it will have uh more dire consequence for them but yeah it's the wrong precedent to set i'm very saddened by it hopefully mm-hmm. you know i do very cynically think um, what self-serving aim have they had of doing that? You know, it's anticipated they won't be in power and I think they're shoring up all their things that Mm -hmm. they want uh, to be in place for their kind of business and commercial interests, unfortunately, and and I'm quite cynical about it all. Yeah, yeah, it does seem quite a cynical move. And and I think it doesn't, uh, when they're kind of the party behind of business, when business owners are coming out and saying, actually, what this doesn't make any sense yeah and also the whole kind of narrative around um exploring north sea oil and all of these things it does seem quite out of step with conversations that the the industry seems to be having around decarbonization so the but and then the consumers are sort of stuck in the middle as i see it kind of not knowing what's happening Uh, in the other piece of news this week was Rupert Murdoch, love him or hate him, um, announced that he would be stepping down as chairman of the boards of News Corp and Fox Corp as of the middle of November, and that his son, uh, Lachlan Murdoch, uh, is going to be the sole chair of News Corp and then continue as executive chair and CEO of the Fox Corporation. I think Murdoch is just like such a mythical figure and like a sort of iconic name in the media industry. And I think most people would have thought that he was, I mean, I don't quite know how old Rupert Murdoch is, but he's, I, I just thought that he would go down with the ship, as I it think, were. I think he's 92. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you were a lover of succession, as I am, uh, <laughs> you know, it was interesting in uh, in that series where the, you know, this um, this figurehead passed away and then it in what happened and so um i don't know maybe he, he thought i don't want that to happen in my case so uh i think i'm not going to have any spoilers but i think um it was time it was probably time a long time ago you know uh so will they continue to dominate keeping it as a family-run business and mm-hmm. you know responsible journalism let's see mm. I mean, 92 is a long time to be still working. Well, do you think either of you will be working when you're 92? Is that? <laughs> I think only if I'm really having fun. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. But um, let's see if we make it that far. <laughs> Ask us when, we're, when we reach that humble age. So. Yeah, let's see if there's still an industry and a planet <laughs> yes, when we're both 92. The aim. Other piece of news was that Havas won the global media buying account for Shell. And it did prompt some backlash from climate protesters and also reportedly the loss of another of a client from another of its agencies. So I just wondered what you guys thought about agencies working with fossil fuel clients. And I mean, I think from what I see of their advertising, it is around a lot of their investment in renewable energy. And when does that stray into mm. greenwashing? Because I mean, obviously it's important to be investing in that, but there's yeah. the other things as well. Habas were always... Uh, uh, must have been comfortable to lose their B Corp status because they um, had had been a B Corp company. And to be a B Corp company, you can't work, work with fossil fuel, fuel clients. So they've obviously um, stepped back from that. Uh, I think they've chosen revenue over 
ethics um, and integrity, unfortunately. Um, it's a tricky one. You know, I know people who work in that sector and they um, work in sustainability and they say, I want to make the change from the inside. Um, I know people who feel that that's the only way these companies will change by by kind of having that drive to work with them and influence them and drive strategy from a sustainability perspective. But I think the challenge is the advertising of a company like Shell is a micro portion of the entire business and you only really get exposed to the positive messaging they want to put out in a business that is, um, you know, under pressure. I think the challenge is um, it's all well and good to have eyes on the on the um, oil industry, but every other industry is using, um, you know, shipping and, and freight and, and transport and, and various other things. And so we are a bit naive, I think, to think that, you know, they're the only ones. I mean, uh, if you look into plastics, it's formed from, uh, from petrol as its origin and how many businesses are using plastics. There's lots of issues there. And I think um, they're the easy one to to say they're the problem. And I mm. think that's the tricky piece of it. But it was a very controversial pitch. So the outcome uh, of a global kind of move as well, because it's moved from, from a WPP agency over, I think is is quite significant. And, you know, it's not going to be the only one. I think there's other oil companies who'll be observing what happened and wondering will will I just renew where I am and keep keep out of the uh, spotlight mm -hmm. yeah and the spotlight especially during climate week in New York where clean creatives publish their annual list um, and their annual kind of advertising to employees at various advertising agencies about the companies I think um, for me it's interesting you know what you were saying about people that work from the the inside and trying to make those changes because I think you know I know m many people that work at, at agencies who don't want to work um, on on those accounts and so I wonder you know over time as you see more and more people especially in Gen Z coming into the, the workforce and, and working at ad agencies you know how will they eventually ultimately be staffing those accounts. Mm. Yeah, good luck to have us finding all the people to work on it. I think that's going to be a real challenge for them because they will have some resistance of finding people willing to work in um, that sector, unfortunately. And um, they may have to pay above the odds to get the people. And that comes down to a person's ethical choices about what they'll will and won't work on. And mm. I think it's, um, as you say, younger generations are being more selective on that. Mm. I wonder as a sort of a new sort of account um, exec or media buyer going into that kind of organisation, how much control you would have over, oh, you're going to be working on this account. And then how much can you say, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And I would hope that that would be respected, but that does sound quite sort of optimistic. But I do think you're right, like that if it's a whole swathe of people uh, that don't want to work on that account. But I wonder... For me, I wonder, it's, it's a good point that you make, Hannah, about there other brands that are dependent on oil, but also other brands that use other damaging materials and have also got pretty, not, well, pretty dire, like, emissions statements, and if they do disclose them. Um, so I think it's, yeah, how you can pick what what to work on, how, how do you know what's right yeah, and it's really tricky. Like, I've definitely had times in my career where I've um, declined to work on certain clients and been lucky enough to have managers who've supported those decisions. But, um, you know, it, I understand some people have to earn a living and that's their only choice. So it is going to be, you know, really mm -hmm. tricky. And I hope they find the people, um, you know, that are the positive agitators and, and use that opportunity to really 
as best as possible, because <laughs> it's a behemoth, um, influence more change and more sustainability and more renewables um, from, from companies like that, because, uh, yeah, very controversial piece of business to work on these days. I think that is a good place to end. Um, I think... Thank you so much uh, for both of you for for chatting to me about about all of this, and I hope that maybe when we revisit this conversation, we'll have even more updates and and kind of initiatives to report to report on. So thanks both. Thanks, Ella. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.